Now, when it comes to screen time, though, when you look at all the different studies, whether it's from the World Health Organization or different pediatric societies, they all have slightly different opinions on things. But when you look at all of the data, all of them have three primary things in common. Screen time has become another thing we measure. In this episode, we discuss whether or not managing screen time is worth the fight with a child, what daily dosage is considered a healthy amount, and what students are spending their screen time watching in school. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Wow. It is season eight, Jason. We've been doing this for eight seven years. seasons. Not quite eight <laughs> years. We are so pumped to get into this season. We've got, again, always great new source material directly from students. We've got some amazing guests lined up. It's been a joy, man. We've done this seven seasons. We're jumping into eight. This is a big year. Excited. Yeah, well, let's go. Let's get into it. You know, it's exciting to be able to have another season to talk about youth ministry, about adolescence, about the culture. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to spark conversation and hope that it sparks conversation in your ministry or your place of work or in your home with your family, wherever you may find yourself. But if you are investing in the lives of of students, we hope that these conversations are a part of your conversations. 2020, it's a big year. As we're recording this, we're into this new year and this new season. And just because of the numbers, 2020 catches people's attention. That brings us to a couple things, Jason. Number one is summer's coming up. There's a couple things for us big happening this summer. One is NTS Camp. This is our 20-year celebration of NTS Camp. It started back in the year 2000. And uh, it was an idea that me and a friend, Darren Campbell, had as youth pastors. And we tried this little experiment. It kind of took off. Here we are 20 years later. And for the next 20 minutes, we're going to have you describe every single year what happened. Man, I cannot even remember. I couldn't even go back. <laughs> I can barely remember this year. But I tell you, it's been really amazing. We're celebrating a big year. We're actually adding another venue out in California. So if you're listening to this and you're in California, we'd love to, or in that area, join us for that brand new location of NTS Camp. But learn more, ntscamp.com. Find information, get your youth group signed up. We'd love to see you there. And another event that's happening this summer is Claim Your Campus 2020. You have probably heard about it if you are a regular listener, but we want to make sure that Anybody who joins the podcast, whether it's the first time or the second time or the 20th time, we want to make sure that you are well aware of what this event is. It's happening July 4th weekend in Kansas City, and we want to invite you there. Claim Your Campus 2020. There's not been an event happen like this, Jason, in at least a generation, several decades. This is a national gathering for an event focused specifically and solely on middle and high school students. It's a gathering. We... We want to host this gathering along with over 75 other denominations and organizations that care about young people. Chances are, if you're listening to this right now, either you're a family member of ours and you're doing it because you love us, or more likely, you do it because you care about young people. And here's the deal. We think about this event this summer. This is an event and a moment that could spark a change in this generation. And the idea 
of this event called Claim Your Campus 2020 is to create a moment that will mobilize a movement. This moment that will happen near Kansas City in a field, an outdoor event, July 4th weekend, where we will gather together 100,000 students is our goal from 10,000 schools and equip and inspire them to bring change back to their campus. That's the moment. The mobilization will happen there. It will feel like a music festival, but these students will be um, resourced with encouraging and inspiring ideas and concepts that will specifically help them go back to school and show and share Jesus on campus. And that's where the movement comes in. We want to see this movement of prayer, sharing their faith, and serving on their campus happen at every school in America. So it is ClaimYourCampus2020.com. And I want to go a little deeper here just for a second about this event. You know, whenever God does something big, it's always ushered in by His people praying. And God stirs up His people to pray in very strategic and specific and passionate ways. And that seems to be the red carpet that's rolled out for God to come in and to do something unique and special and powerful. And I can tell you, Jason, in my travels and meeting people of all different kinds, many of us are feeling the same way. We're feeling that something is about to happen in our nation. And Events like Claim Your Campus 2020 and other things happening, we believe are part of a bigger thing that God's doing. And I think one of the signposts that all of us agree is that the church in, and we're talking about America specifically here, is rallying together and praying and uniting together in this rising belief that something's about to happen. And I will say this on behalf, speaking on behalf of, of being in youth ministry that students are really a key to any spark that will happen in our nation of God. And and students have to be a part of that. In fact, I think it won't happen without students. That's why this event is important because it stands for more than just this moment. It's the movement that we're, we're talking about that happens afterwards. So, Jason, where can they learn more about this event? They can go online and click in claimyourcampus2020.com and uh, browse the the server that is providing them with the website and uh, they will find more information. They can also find information on Facebook, uh, Claim Your Campus 2020. You can uh, follow us on Instagram, uh, Claim Your Campus 2020. And uh, I believe I've exhausted the ones that I know of. (laughs) So go to the website. If you're an adult, you can get signed up. It's $99 to get registered. For students, it's only $49. And adults, you are an important part of this moment because just imagine what would happen if God were to move powerfully in a school that you know of in your community where your students or kids attend. Imagine if God were to do something there through the prayers of students and this moment can have an effect on a campus that you care about and for you, it's a, it's a call to action. It's to say, I want to the school that I care about to be at this event. So you as an adult play a critical role because you get registered and then you bring some students with you. If you're a coach or a parent or a teacher or some a community leader, you can help get a school mobilized. Um, you can also, if you're a youth pastor or a church leader, ministry leader, Announce it to your youth group. Say, hey, we're going, and get a bunch of students and get signed up and go. 
Also, Jason, uh, on the Claim Your Campus Facebook page, every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern, you can hear the latest updates about what's happening. And specifically for you as an adult, how do you get students connected and motivated and mobilized to, to go to this event? We share very specific strategic ways to do that. So that's Claim Your Campus on, on Facebook every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock. We have guests, artists that will be there, other national leaders. Um, so join us there as well. And if you are a new listener to the podcast, The Thought Factory, we are going to be talking more about this throughout the season. So you can follow us every week and hear more about what's going on. You'll be reminded or you will be encouraged to do certain things. But in the next few months leading up to the event, we will be sharing about Claimer Campus 2020 in this podcast every single week that it's released. The illustrious Chris McKenna is with us once again. Our most uh, frequent frequent recurring guests. Seems like every year we wow. want to invite you in and just talk digital media technology. You had one of the most obscure career paths as well. You went from accounting yeah. to youth ministry. Right. And then to doing this. To internet safety. That's <laughs> Logical. Right. Yeah, that's right. I just like to keep both hemispheres that. exercising right. as much as yeah. possible, left to right to somewhere in the middle, so... So from accounting to all-nighters, you've 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 done it all, you've seen it all, That's and right. uh, and so really, what we love about you, Chris, is you you you're kind of one of us in the youth ministry, obviously, because you were a youth pastor. And it's kind of like once a youth pastor was a youth pastor kind of thing, and yeah. now you still have that heart. And um, yeah, there's so much that that boy we could talk about today in terms of of what you bring to the table. You're just this vast array of knowledge and experience and i know you would you you have a lot to offer here but but before we get any further i do want to mention go to protectyoungeyes.com get signed up for the email just your content that you're you're putting out it's continually updated you really are on the forefront of anyone that we know of in the area of being ministry minded to youth ministers and youth workers and parents to help us live in this digital world and so we're grateful for all that you do but make sure if you're listening to this you haven't already get on their list you need to be on this thanks yeah, i appreciate that so screen time it's a it's a topic of debate i get a report every sunday i get it on sunday morning when i'm in bed i get the screen oh, time is that when it comes out from apple is it everybody do you guys get it then? i usually uh, i'm sitting get, in church on sunday morning sunday float, yeah yeah Okay. Nobody so. at Apple goes to church then. They're all working to send I guess us our so. screen time. So they're, they're hitting send individually to every <laughs> single device. So early on Sunday morning, I wake up to my screen time report, and sometimes it's like, oh. And sometimes I'm like, oh, crap. This is a terrible week. Right, right. Because screen time is almost like how much digital junk food did you take in this and right. your kids and everybody else. So give us your, your, your view on screen time. Yeah, it's a pretty consistent question. And we talk to parents who are parents of kids of a lot of different ages, right? Whether it's elementary or preschool, elementary, junior high, or high school. And I think that's what's difficult about it because the way that I believe we should approach screen time varies greatly depending on the age and stage of the child. And so if you're a family that has children in multiple stages, ranging from elementary all the way up through high school, it's easy to default 
to the lowest denominator, which in that case is going to be the youngest child, which is a stage where you want to highly control screen time. And studies would say that's a pretty wise position to have. But then some of that translates into maybe a little bit too legalistic of a view on screen time for some of the older kids who need to explore. And let's just be honest, you know, YouTube is a source of great entertainment at times. And it's a great relief for a kid sometimes who's had a really stressful day in high school just to come and veg out in front of YouTube for an hour, hour and a half like I've watched my daughter do. So the rules in a home need to flex depending on where the kids are at. So we have a lot of different parents who in our talks ask us a lot of questions about about that topic. So, so you're saying the number that is projected maybe by a psychologist or uh, somebody who has more medical expertise and saying, you know, your child needs this X number of hours in front of the, the screen or not even need, but avoid more than this number. You're saying it's not as hard cut and dry number. I don't think so. We want a number. Everything right. is easier if we do, right? I get the question all the time around, well, what's the right age to give my kids social media? I wish I could say that every human who turns 14.2 is ready for social media. <laughs> That'd be easy for parents. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's not. We often have to look at more qualitative attributes instead of just the quantitative. I think both are necessary, but there's a need to look at both sides of that. Now, when it comes to screen time, though, when you look at all the different studies, whether it's from the World Health Organization or different pediatric societies, they all have slightly different opinions on things. But when you look at all of the data, all of them have three primary things in common. Number one, that less is almost always better for most kids. So whatever number your kid is at right now, they're not going to be harmed with less screen time. Okay, let's just put that out there. Yeah. It seems obvious, great, let's, we agree on that. Number two, for young children, particularly kids who are two or three years old, they should have almost zero sedentary screen time. That the tablet should never be used as an emotional pacifier. Everybody agrees on that. And recent studies published by the New York Times and others recently would say that up until age five, a tablet is so captivating and so neurologically engaging that kids up to five years old who have excessive amounts of tablet-driven screen time actually learn to read at a slower pace than their peers. It is having an impact on the way in which young people learn, right? So for young, young kids, almost zero. Um, and so these are some of the things that, you know, uh, the, the studies, you know, say, that's, let's keep those things in mind. The other thing they say is that parents are almost always the best indicator of whether or not kids develop healthy screen time habits is how we were joking, you know, just about our own screen time. The way we use it often dictates how, how they use it. But then as a kid grows up, I think we need to ask different questions. It's less about, was it zero for the kid who was two or three and just more about looking at the kid as a whole, right? Looking at your teen daughter and looking at other aspects of his or her life. I recently had a parent who came up to me after a talk. We had spoke to a whole group of parents over in Arizona and a mom come up who after our talk, it's not uncommon for a parent to just be overwhelmed. We talk about a lot of different things in a two-hour mm -hmm. span of time. They may be hearing this for the first time. They and, may yeah. be going, wow, I never knew these things right. about social media or YouTube or whatever. And so it's very easy for a parent to walk away uh, overwhelmed and want to come up and talk about a lot of different things. And this parent wanted to talk about a lot of different things. Screen time was the number one thing where she was giving me all of this 
context around this tussle that she was having with her son around screen time and how much time he should and shouldn't be in. You know, give me some tips. And I asked her, I said, well, how old is your son? And she said, well, he's, he's almost 17. And I, I looked at her and I said, he's almost 17. Managing the amount of screen time that he is getting, like to the minute and to the hour, may not be necessary. Like, like have you ever thought about that? Mm-hmm. It, it may not be necessary. And I just started asking her some more qualitative questions around, is he a good kid? Is he, does he treat you well? Is he respectful? How are his grades? Like looking at some of these other parts of him as a human being. Now you ask if his room was clean. Did you ask that? I did ask her if that's part of a key element in being Man, responsible. I know that scares me. What do they say? Was the room clean? Well, Jeff, is your room clean? <laughs> my, my room is clean. I'm going to put quotes around the word clean. It's pretty clean. I'm just okay. thinking of my one of my teenage daughters. Well, I just wondered if we needed to say, control your screen. <laughs> yeah, if, if you've maybe, got a dirty room, you maybe. are feasting on that maybe. junk food too much. <laughs> um, so does the kid have a clean room? <laughs> this particular this particular son did have a clean okay. room. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. He Keep did. going. He, I just So, you know, it was it was a conversation where I was I was not trying to tell the mom, you know, how to parent her kid, but I wanted her to try to see her son and and look at other attributes and say, Okay, listen, at the end of the day, whatever things are important to you, maybe a clean room is or isn't important to you, but whatever things are important for you for your son to be accomplishing in a day. Is he doing those things? If the answer to the question is yes, then let the kid veg out on a couple of hours of YouTube, right? If that, if that's not negatively impacting all of the other attributes, all of the other behaviors that you want present in your son or your daughter, then give yourself permission to not micromanage so much that number. What and especially again, this is a message for for older kids. I'm not telling just to, you know, telling parents just to take all the controls off and kids can watch whatever they want, whenever they want, all day long. There's some context around that. But I just think we've, like a lot of things that we talk about these days, we tend to only have two extremist groups of people. Either those who say, yeah, let kids do whatever they want or no screens at all or a half an hour on Saturday and the rest of it is just highly controlled. And I just think it's a more complex answer than that sometimes. It's harder to parent to that more complex answer. But... Some days it's two hours, some days it's four hours, some days it's a half hour. It just kind of depends on all those other attributes, in my opinion. Now, would you say you've been doing this four or five years now, full time, since you started Protect Young Eyes? How long has it been? Yeah, we'll be five at the end of May this year. Okay, so So. you're coming up on five years. And one of the things, as we're talking, that I'm curious about is, I would say what you described was maybe like a holistic approach, like, hey, here's the whole big picture of this kid clean room and all mm-hmm. to maybe a, a, in a, in a legalistic view where it's like you needs to be two hours or less or whatever. And I'm just curious when you go back four or five years when you started, have you, do you think you've transitioned from more of a legalistic view to a holistic or have you always been kind of holistic about your approach to these topics with parents and students? Yeah. I think initially just due to a lack of information, I, as a more left-brained, more sort of structured individual, tended to be more on the, it needs to be a number, it needs to be more strict, absent information, studies, research that was telling me anything to the contrary. Just naturally myself is going to bend towards legalism just because of the way that I am. Yeah. 
we have so much more information at our disposal now, as I referred to studies and research and other things that, yes, for certain types of kids. I would also say then, I mean, all of that is under the context of mom and dad know your kid, right? Yeah. There, there are certain types of young men and young women who simply have an addictive nature. They simply have a compulsivity to the things that they consume that for that type of kid, then, okay, you know your kid, control it a little bit more. It's not a strict number, but over all of that, the message I was trying to communicate to this mom was, tell me a little bit about your boy. I don't want to know like what you think. Tell me about him. And by knowing your kid, I think we can customize what that right amount of digital consumption looks like. Um, but that's harder work. It is. It is, for sure. Now, is there an area in their life that you feel like there should be a, re a pretty strong restriction on cell phone use? Is there, you mentioned in the bedroom where they need sleep, there may be something mm -hmm. more restrictive in that area versus in the afternoon, hanging out on the couch for a couple right, of hours. Right, right. No, that's, that's a great um, way, or I, I guess a, a, another restriction or sort of limitation to think about is more and more, and I'm sure you guys have seen this in working with teens and talking to their leaders and parents. We've recently been doing a lot of surveys when we go and do presentations before we get there. We want to survey the kids to see where they're at in certain digital behaviors and certain attitudes. And we recently did a survey for third graders up through 12th graders. And I was blown away at some of the numbers, like 46% of the third and fourth graders, third and fourth graders that we surveyed at this public school in Michigan had internet ready devices in their bedrooms. And almost 30% of them had those devices in their bedrooms at night while they slept. Now, again, a lot of different opinions about that, but when we look at some of the trends around mental health, and around anxiety and depression and suicide and other things that we're seeing in teens. So much of that often has its source in rest and sleep and self-care. Yes. And not for all kids, but I'm even looking at my own family and you know things that Andrea and I have experienced personally. We have an epidemic of young people who are not well-rested. Mm -hmm. yes. And that's primarily due to the fact that these highly engaging dopamine driven devices are two feet away from their head all night long. And whether you are 14 or 40, it is hard to resist the notification. Yeah. It is hard to put down thumbing through the feed. Yeah. It is hard not to auto stream the next episode of whatever season you happen to be mm -hmm. in. We've all felt that as adults with fully formed prefrontal cortices supposedly <laughs> to make some of these decisions. Those teens don't stand a chance in putting that stuff down. Mm -hmm. And so that, to your point, Jason, not that there's a right number, but for almost all kids, there are right times and places just to create a healthy human being that whether it's the bedroom, whether it's keeping it out of bathrooms, whatever, again, you've determined that we've got to help kids, you know, with those sort of limitations for sure. I know there's been even more, um, research in regards to the effect on their brain and their development and and even more so where uh silicon valley executives are advocating for a device free school that their kids go to because they know how their devices are affecting our brain development have yeah. you looked into this or researched any of this or 
Yeah, yeah, there are um, device-free Waldorf and other Waldorf. I'm per- pronouncing that in a really incorrect way. There are a whole category <laughs> of schools <laughs> over on the West Coast where um, Silicon Valley executives, you know, intentionally send their children to have that screen-free experience. And there's even other stories that you would read. Like you read about the guy who invented the thumbs up on Facebook and and others who, um, it was the gentleman I think who came up with the bottomless feed, the scroll, right? Tristan Harris at uh, the Center for Humane Technology talks about when there's no bottom to the glass that you're drinking out of, the brain can't stop. It just keeps drinking. And that's the concept behind the bottomless feed is you just keep scrolling and you talk to these, you read the stories. It'd be fascinating to link it to this episode. They have great regret for the things that they've invented yeah, because they're now seeing the impact, the mental impact, the relational impact that some of these, you know, innovations, um, if it had on, you know, people young and old. So, well, it, the intent is to get them addicted to their devices because there is a bottom line that is a dollar amount for their company. And so, if you can get somebody addicted to your your product, then there is going to be more of a job security on their end when their product is being used. And so, they're realizing that they use tactics to get them addicted, but then. They don't want that same addiction to occur in their own kids' lives or right. in their own lives. Yeah. And they're realizing the mistake that they've made. And so we are impacted by it and we're all trying to figure out what to do about it as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You mentioned when we were off record of banning cell phones from schools. Like, is there any desire oh, yeah. to, to see that, no, that happen? Yeah, that's, so that's a good screen time segue. Let's go there next. So you mentioned, (laughs) (laughs) or just say the same exact thing that you just said. Coming up, Jason will segue us. That was my segue. (laughs) In the next segment, we continue our screen time discussion with what students are allowed to do on their cell phones in school, and if there's a good case to ban them entirely from the classroom. As we look at the the variety of places that we are engaged in the the cell phones, the screens, the tablets, right. and we're talking about the restrictions of maybe at at night in their bedrooms, but also allowing them to have more time during the day if they are responsible enough to get other tasks done. Is there other aspects or elements that we should kind of consider a restriction in when we are talking about? their exposure to this screen time and the and the effects it has on their developmental brain and and their their relational uh connection with other people yeah we would we've recently started reaching out to peers like protect young eyes and others that you know work and care for uh, kids when it comes to internet safety and we just we just all agree that man we would love to get every single non-ed tech internet ready device out of classrooms they just do not enhance education. And every study that you look at points to it as this distraction. It doesn't even have to be buzzing, but the sheer presence of a phone turned upside down on the desk while I'm taking a test actually produces less, a, a lower grade because my attention is just pulled towards the chance that I'm missing something. 
that near and present danger of being out of the loop, of fear of missing out, causes me to perform at a lower level academically. And so, you know, what is it, the the, the phone-free school campaign, whatever it is, we, we fully in 2020 want to move down a path of um, advocating for a direction. Like here in Grand Rapids, we have a shining example nationally that every school should look at when it comes to this issue right here at Forest Hills. And what Superintendent Dan Beam has done this year to remove all non-ed tech devices out of K through 12 classrooms in a school district with 10,000 kids in 19 buildings. This isn't just some small rural district where you get a few parents in the room and you can make a decision, right? He led with mission. He led with research. He led with some of what we talked about with sleep and attention. He led with all these things and said, listen, parents, you've charged me with an educational objective for your kids. I cannot achieve that objective while phones are in the classroom. Are you with me? Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not saying that, you know, they can't have them. I'm just saying we have to keep them out of the classroom. They have to stay in their locker. And if we see it, we'll confiscate it. Are you with me? And it is working. I've had multiple conversations with them. We've written a blog post about it. I just think it's another one of those places that there is no science that proves to me that children carrying personal internet ready devices has anything to do with their education and gives them any positive impact on their education. It's more often parents who are saying, I want to get in touch with my kid. I want to be able to get in touch with them all the time. Listen, it's just not necessary. The trade-off is not worth that little bit of benefit. So, so Chris, recently you were invited into a public school to do their sex education classes for... Sex education and that they, they had that, they have a program for that. Many schools have a fairly mature, be it abstinence or you know, uh, sexually transmitted diseases, you know, kind of curriculum. But what almost no school has is any kind of secular sort of fact and science-based conversation around the issue of pornography, um, separate from, from sex ed. So what Portage Public Schools down south of Kalamazoo wanted to do was to pilot something like that. Last winter, they asked me to create a two-day curriculum more or less that they would pilot with their freshmen in health class so we worked on that during 2019 and then this just past december of 2019 i was invited into portage central high school for two days and then portage northern high school for two days and had uh, all six or seven sections of their health class cycle through for two consecutive days to have this conversation around pornography and Well, I learned so much here. I thought I knew the topic and I've worked with this topic for a long time. But as it pertains to schools, what I found, and these are public schools, right? There were teenage boys were just really, really honest with me, whether it was kind of in the middle of class or at the end of class where they were just flat up. And and this is a school that phones are allowed, right? So kids can carry their phones in and out. There was this routine that I observed in every classroom where at the beginning of every class, and I bet this goes on in all the classrooms there at a school or any school that allows the cell phones that the teacher has to go through this whole litany of rules now about what to do with your device, right? Everybody take your AirPods out, put those away. I need you to listen to your speaker. You can't have your phone in your lap. It was like this 
mm. script because they were allowed to have them that the teachers need to go through at every class period just to manage the devices. So again, why I love what Forest Hills has done is they've removed all of that burden from the teachers to have to manage these devices. But anyway, what I discovered in talking to the boys is, and it's not just a boy issue. It just happened to be boys that were comfortable to talk to me about it. They said, Chris, we watch porn all day long, like in the cafeteria, before practice, in between class. Chris, this is just what we do. Mr. McKenna, whatever, you know, whatever they called yeah. me. Right. So now you have a couple of dynamics going on, right? I know it is not the purpose of schools when they allow kids to have their cell phones that a part of that I, I hope isn't, well, you know, a little bit of porn is okay. No, no, listen, when you allow kids to have their phones at school, they are going to consume pornography. I would challenge educators to look back at me and say, is that what you want happening in your school? So a couple of things going on there. Yes, I would love policies to get phones, not out only for the educational purposes, but for these purposes too. Yeah. Right? That when they're away from home and outside of uh, that control of mom and dad that are hanging out with their friends, I just think it creates situations that are problematic and could be construed as abusive, especially at the younger grades, right? Down into middle school. If you have a bunch of middle schoolers who are showing each other pornography in the cafeteria and my son or daughter is exposed to that and comes home traumatized from that, I would say that's the fault of the school from a liability perspective. I would be upset at the school that doesn't have rules around that. So there's a lot to unpack there. I learned so many insightful but heartbreaking things from talking to these young men and women about the issue of pornography from a very secular mindset. And one of the things that you talked about in regards to porn, this mindset of they believe they it's fine to look at porn at an adolescent age until they get married. And once they get married, everything goes away and it's fine because they're married and they're able to engage in sex. And so you, you have this, you're kind of approaching these adolescents that are going, what's the difference of looking at porn? It's not, it's not that bad because I'll be able to give it up later. Well, and that was one there were a very limited number of things that I was allowed to share my opinion on. When it comes to this topic, there's a very narrow list of things, especially in a public school, that I'm allowed to talk about. But a couple of the boys opened the door, and one of them said that exact thing to me, and then another did later, that I'm not hurting anybody right now. It's just me. While I'm not married, that's fine. Later on, when I get married, I'll just give it up. In other words, in their mind... Pornography and sex are the same thing. This is where the miseducation, mm -hmm. the misunderstanding mm -hmm. comes in. And I wish I had uh, like an hour counseling session just to sit down and look at these boys in the eye and say, listen, you are training yourself for something that is not real. Neurologically, you are teaching your brain to be hooked on image after image after image after image after position after beautifully polished and surgically changed body. And you're going to trade that in for a real living, breathing, messy, emotional human being. Do you truly think she will satisfy what you're looking for? You are setting yourself up for absolute crash and burn. And so, you know, that was one of the heartbreaking realizations. And I've found that to be a very prevalent mindset that teen boys have. 
this idea that I'm not hurting anybody. It's okay right now. But someday I will be married to somebody and get all of the sex that I want, just like I see on the screen. And then I'll be able to let go of it. And on the other side of that, in my role at Coveted Eyes, as I'm responding to men on the blog and so forth, more often than not, their wives who are commenting who 10 years into a marriage have discovered a husband addicted to pornography for 10 years. And that started 10 years before they got married, right? This has been going on for years and years and years. And I'm sure that he had the same thought that as soon as I get right. married, everything will be fine. And I'll be able to trade this for that. And neurologically, they are not even in the same universe. Chris, I, I've always been amazed at not only what you've learned, but the way your ability to share it with parents, youth workers, those of us that are trying to do this thing. And boy, we've transitioned into such an amazing time in humanity where I often, I often refer to electricity. I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to be alive during the advent of electricity, mm-hmm. what it was like to live before and after. And, I, and yeah. we're living in this age right now. Yeah, we are. I mean, even now I say to my kids and in conversations they all the time, that was pre-internet. You know, life was completely different pre-internet, pre-information age. And with the advent of the smartphone, digital devices, you you continue to stay in the cutting edge. And we're, we're so grateful for that. Near pornography, something that's, it's an epidemic. And, you know, how much do you talk about it? We could talk about it every day because it's happening. I mean, I've seen things that you've put out with um so the amount of bandwidth consumed yeah, yeah. in one year uh, from a site like Pornhub, right? Where they'll talk about over 4,000 petabytes of bandwidth in a year, which each petabyte is a million gigabytes sort yeah. of stuff. Or, yeah, it's yeah, just... Those sort of figures, they're, they're, they're hard to comprehend Yeah, um, the amount that's, that's out there, so... We want to encourage you to go to protectyoungeyes.com, a resource for parents and youth pastors to stay up to date in the digital technological world and help you navigate the ever-changing landscape when it comes to online usage for children and teens. And if you have not done so already, we want to encourage you to listen to our last episode on legislating the digital playground, where Chris talked about proposing legislation to get the App Store ratings more intuitive for parents. You can find out more at fixappratings.com. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.